Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Neighborhood Podcast. I am half of the podcast, Kevin Valentin. And I'm the other half of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabro. Kevin, what's going on, man? Bro, it's here. What we've been waiting for. The time has arrived where legends are made. The commercials that gave us goosebumps as kids, the NBA playoffs have begun. And I couldn't be happier. I could not be happier. So today, Kyle and I are just going to briefly go over uh, some of the games, you know, just go over some quick uh, rundowns of the games, each game, scores, finals, who won. Uh, we're going to go over some uh, some standout performances of the weekend. We're also going to go over uh, who we think were two impactful players, two impactful players over the weekend. We're also going to go over the uh, the game one importance in the NBA does it mean a lot is it a feeler game you know we're going to really figure it out we're going to kind of uh, give our feedback on that and then we're going to touch on the PGA championship Phil Mickelson has won he's the oldest player at the age of 50 to win a PGA championship and then you know I'll talk a little bit about the Yankees at the end but overall it's going to be a NBA fully wrapped up episode so Kyle dude yesterday began the anxiety for me as a Mavericks fan, but in general, just the playoffs, you know, just watching these games and how close they were and the weekend couldn't have gotten off to a better start. So we're going to just quickly go over uh, game one on Saturday was the Miami heat at the Milwaukee bucks it went down to the wire and overtime, the bucks ended up squeaking it out on a Chris Middleton uh, game winning shot. And the bucks won one Oh nine, one Oh seven. Uh, the following game was going to is going to be the Dallas Mavericks at the LA Clippers. The Mavericks dominate the Clippers and win 113-103 behind Luka Doncic's triple-double. The next game is going to be the Brooklyn Nets who beat the Boston Celtics at 104 to 93. And then the final game to close out Saturday was the Portland Trailblazers upset of the Denver Nuggets at 123 and 109. And then today's games, uh, the final game, we are still awaiting the final, but the current score is 102 to 93 in favor of the Memphis Grizzlies at the Utah Jazz. The 76ers took care of business and won their game against the Washington Wizards at 125 to 118. The Phoenix Suns shockingly win 99 to 90 behind the dominant performance of Devin Booker. And then the game that I am still in shock, uh, the Atlanta Hawks end up beating the New York Knicks 
107 to 105 behind Trey Young's game-winning floater with 0.9 seconds to go, and Trey Young's few rebounds away from trip from a triple double in the Garden. So, Kyle, I ask you first, um, what's the game that stood out to you, man? What 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 are the games that you felt that that really shocked you, or the, at least the game that really like blew you away? I'll be honest with you, it was the Dallas Mavericks and the Los Angeles Clippers game. I know you're ripping your jersey, so I didn't mention it because of that. It was just I was expecting that the Los Angeles Clippers were going to win game one at home against a pretty solid Mavericks team. But, bro, I I was 100% wrong. The Mavericks played extremely well. And I think the one thing that really kind of stood out to me was really just Dallas's ability to just shoot well from the field. They shot 50% of the field. They shot 50% from the field compared to the 44% that the Clippers had. And that's even with having home court advantage and when you look at what Dallas was able to do from the three-point line they were 17 to 36 they shot just a touch over 47 percent you compare that with the Clippers the Clippers shot 27 and a half percent behind the three-point line so the Dallas definitely got a little bit of an advantage there they were able to get some nice threes Luca was a focal point in that I believe he knocked down five threes but they got good contributions from Dorian Finney-Smith he had 18 points, not done a couple three-point shots. You also had Tim Hardaway Jr. I think he knocked down five three-pointers as well, if I'm not mistaken. So they got great production outside of Luka and Kristaps. They were able to get Tim Hardaway in double figures. They were able to get Jalen Brunson in double figures. Like I mentioned, uh, Dorian Finney-Smith and um, who was it? Tim Hardaway Jr. They both played very well. So when you compare that, and when you look at the team that they have, it's not just Luca carrying. I mean, Luca does a lot of the damage for the Mavericks. But the fact of the matter is they're getting great production from guys that need to step up. Even guys coming off the bench, they're stepping up and doing what they need to do. Now, the thing that I'm kind of focused on with this game is, okay, the Clippers didn't probably play the best game that they could have. They, they, left, some shot out, they left some shots out on the court even though that Kawhi probably had one of the most electrifying dunks of the weekend. He dunked on, was it Maxi Kleba, correct? Yeah. Yeah, it, it was it was an amazing dunk. And, you know, the, the Clippers definitely got hyped from that, but they really couldn't carry the momentum from that dunk f- for the rest of the game because the Mavericks were just able to come back and basically just go shot for shot with the Clippers. And then at the end, they were able to get some separation from the Clippers and they ended up winning the game by 10 points. And I know they probably not that a couple, you know, garbage time free throws to kind of extend the lead, but still winning 10 points on the road in the first game of the series, that's huge. And going into game two, they're going to be very confident and they're going to, I, I imagine they're going to be freaking licking their chops at the possibility of, winning game two and going back to Dallas up 2-0 in the series. That's a real possibility, but you have to understand that the Clippers, look, Kawhi didn't necessarily have the best game. He was a little bit inefficient from the field. Paul George had an okay game, and then some of the role players had a decent game, but they, like I said, they left some shots out there. They, they could have uh, made a, a more of a compelling game, but I, I do expect that Kawhi and Paul George are going to be ready to go for game two. And I think they're going to give Dallas everything that they got 
try to even the series when they go back to Dallas for game three. But all in all, yeah, this was probably the most surprising result of the weekend just because I had the Clippers winning game one. But Dallas shocked me, and they got the win on the road. Good for them. Yeah, no, it, it was a big game for us. I know that uh, we're trying to keep a little bit quicker tonight, guys. It is already uh, midnight. We're starting a little late tonight. Both of us had a lot of other priorities. But um, as a Mavericks fan watching this game, hyped, happy, excited, you know what I'm saying? Everybody was hitting shots. Now, the realistic portion of this game that concerns me is the amount of threes the team took as a unit. That was 36 threes. The amount of difficulty it is going to be to hit 47% from the three-point line going forward in this series against a relatively good defensive team is little to none. We shot the lights out. I did not like the fact that we took as many as we did. Granted, we did make a lot, but that leaves false confidence. Tim Hardaway Jr. is a particular player that when he shoots and he makes a few, he tends to kind of continue to shoot. It's like that saying, shoot or shoot. You know, if I if I miss a thousand shots, I'll never know if I can make another one. Harvard, I, I butchered that quote, butchered that quote, but it's the point. I'm worried that this is how they're going to treat the rest of the series. We are not a consistent three-point shooting team. Granted, Luca does a lot of his step backs. He creates separations on mismatches. KP is a shooting guard center to me because the man just does not like to play back to the basket. Tim Hardaway Jr. is our spark off the bench. Granted, he started today or Saturday. And then Dorian Finney-Smith has been a very big X factor for the Mavs in the entire you know, lengthiness of the season. So uh, I, I'm concerned. I, I don't want them to go into the game thinking that this is how the rest of the series is going to go. Kawhi Leonard still had a, a great game with 26 points and 10 rebounds. So we do have to do a little bit better at trying to contain their best player. Granted, that is a very hard and difficult task for anybody to do with Kawhi Leonard being one of the best players in the world. And Paul George, uh, we don't know if this is going to be a, a continuous factor. Is he continue to, is he going to continue to be playoff P? Is he going to come out of nowhere and show us that he was a, an MVP candidate a few years ago? I don't know. But I don't want to look too far into this game. I am happy that we did steal one. But going forward, the Mavs need to figure out a way to lock up on defense a little bit better and to find ways to get easier shots. Because if we rely on the three-point shot for the, for the remainder of this series, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. So, but coming from me, this game was definitely not a shock because I expected to win this game because we were, I felt disrespected and a lot of players uh, and analysts said that we would lose this series overall. So I think this was a statement for us. Yeah. And I think they have to fully expect speaking, just like if you're looking at this from the mass perspective, you have to expect that Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are going to try to make their mark and make their impact in game two, because look, Kawhi was nine of 22 from the field. And you and I both know that Kawhi can be one of the most efficient players, especially in the playoffs. So oh, yeah. it wouldn't surprise me if he really tries to go for, for some easy mid-range shots because he's he's just a, he's a mid-range nightmare for anybody defensively that's matched up one-on-one against him. And he was one of six from the three-point line. So I imagine he's going to definitely try to be a little bit more effective, try to knock down some three-point shots going into game two. Paul George... Similar situation with him. He was two eight. He was two of eight behind the three point line. I expect him to be a little bit better going into game two. And look, when it comes to Dallas and how they're going to match up against um, the Clippers moving forward in this series, they have to expect that these guys are going to be on all the time. So 
I, I really do expect that Kawhi and Paul George are going to have better games than they had in uh, game one going into game two. So that's my expectation is that they're going to definitely step up there. They're going to step up to their A game going into game two. That's for sure. Yeah, no, for a hundred percent of fact, my biggest shock mm-hmm. of the weekend or my biggest, you know, shocking game result is going to be the Portland trailblazers upset of the Denver nuggets. Um, I mean, from top to bottom, I'm sitting here just looking at the box score. I didn't get to watch the entire game. Unfortunately, I had some other activities to attend to, uh, but I was able to watch enough to see that Dame was going to have one of those games. Um, it, it just it seemed like it, it was on for him early. He ended with 34 points, 13 assists, and then you know pretty much the rest of the team followed suit. CJ had 21. Melo had 18 off the bench. Even Nurkic gave up some. Oh, not gave up. He provided 16 points and so on and so forth. But I mean, like you look at the the stat sheet for 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 Denver, and it, it relatively for the most part, looks the same as well. I mean, Aaron Gordon had 16. Michael Porter Jr., the X Factor for Denver, in my opinion, had 25. Jokic had 34 and 13, or excuse me, 16. So, I mean, I'm just looking at one player in particular. I think Paul Millsap was the biggest lack of, you know, production here. He only had three points in 15 minutes, and I'm just sitting here like, this is a former All-Star. This is a former, you know, like, top performer in Atlanta back in the day, you know, when he signed that big contract with Denver a few years back, it was a max deal. And it's just like, you know, with the addition of Aaron Gordon, it puts less stress on Paul to have to start or give up so much minutes, but I'm just sitting here like uh, Denver needs to ship up because Portland is a streaky team. We all know that when Dame does good, the team does good. But if, if Portland shoots the lights out, like they did, also, from the three-point line, they shot 47% from the three uh, as well, and they shot almost 95% from the three uh, from the free throw line. Um, Denver's got to find a way to contain uh, Dame. And again, these are hard and difficult tasks to 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 talk about, and you know, to put into action because Dame is one of the most electrifying players in the league. Mm-hmm. But you people have to understand, they live and die with this play. This is the player that when when he's cooking, everybody around him is going to end up eating because you have to double him. Or you have to come off the screen a little harder and someone's going to be open. And that's a big reason why Dame was also able to have 13 assists. If you're going to collapse on me, if you're going to double me off the screen, I'm going to kick it to one of my teammates. And similar to what I said about Dallas, if you're going to shoot 43s, you got to make at least 40% of them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The volume of shots you're putting up is kind of insane from beyond the arc. And for that to happen or for the success to continue to happen in this series, uh, Portland is going to have to find ways to, you know, go to the basket and attack at the rim because I, like I said, I, I'm going to keep repeating myself. You, you can't continue to play basketball, shoot the volume of shots you're shooting and expect them to go in all the time. There's going to be a game where they're just off. There's going to be a game where Dame doesn't hit or CJ has an off night or even Melo has a bad night. But I like the fact that they came out aggressive. I like that Portland made a statement in this game and said, Hey, we don't care if you are the three seed. We don't care if you have a finalist for the MVP you know, I'm Dame Lillard and I'm here. And I feel that, you know, Portland did a great job at, at making their presence felt. And I think that Denver, this is a big wake up call because my God, this, this was a, this was an ass whooping mm-hmm. at the end of this game. And, and Denver just kind of sat back and said, damn, uh, we kind of missed Jamal Murray because we all know that when Jamal's on that court, this is a little bit of a different team. So this game definitely took me for a shock when I saw the final score at the end of the day. Well, the one thing that kind of stood out to me about this game was that Denver was not aggressive. 
they only shot eight free throws the entire game. And they, and they only were able to hit four of those free throws. So for me, like when I look at what Denver's going to have to do for game two, I think they got to make it a primary focus to get to the rim and try to get contact to get to the free throw line. You know, if, you, if you're able to drive in the lane, you know, you're able to get a foul and then possibly get an and one. Trust me, that can really garner a lot of momentum, especially against a team like Portland that can shoot the lights out with Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, and Carmelo Anthony. You're going to have to combat against that. And I think I think the way that they're going to have to win these games is going to be a little bit different than they've had to do the entire season because, you know, they can rely on Jamal Murray's ability to shoot, but now that he's out of the lineup, he's not going to be back until next year. They're going to have to adjust without him being there. And they're going to have to have guys step up in the process to fill the void that he left after he got hurt. Michael Porter Jr., look, he, he played a decent game. 25 points, shot 12 of 21 from the field, but he was 1 of 10 behind the three-point line. Jokic had a great game. 34 points, was 14 to 27 from the field. However, he only had one assist. You know, he's That's pretty, definitely not Jokic's game. I mean, he had 16 Crazy. rebounds, which he was just eating rebounds, but usually when it comes to him being the facilitator on the team, he's a little bit more impactful. Just in this game, it didn't prove to be that way. But, you know, you're going up against a very prolific scoring team in Portland, and they're going to have to step up the defensive intensity as well. Giving up 123 points in the first game of the series, when you look at a lot of these playoff games, these first playoff games in all these series, the defensive intensity has been stepped up. You can tell in a lot of these games. A lot of these teams are struggling to get even to 100 points in four quarters of play. And Portland dropped damn near 125 points on Denver on the road. So for game two, I'm expecting Denver to step up the defensive intensity, try to be able to lock up Dame and maybe Carmelo a little bit better than they did in game one. And the scoring options on the team for Denver are still there, even without Jamal being in the lineup. However, I think they got to focus on stepping up their defense, and try to drive to, to the lane and get some foul shots. I think if they improve their free throw shooting and they get more opportunities to knock down some shots in the free throw line, I think it does definitely help their case going into game two. I think it, it will definitely give them a better shot to win game two or be more competitive uh, against Portland moving forward. Oh, yeah. Dude, the the, the, the... Uh, game over. Never mind. I was going to say... The, the, the Jazz got it all the way down to three, and the Jazz had the final possession, and Bogdanovich just missed the game-tying game, one, game tying shot. So Memphis steals game one. That's crazy. What was the score? Wow. They came back 112-109. Wow, the they Jazz did, scored they, 35 points in the fourth. They came back strong. They came back hard, yeah. I mean, John Moran ended with 26. Dillon had 31. Holy shit. That's wild. I'm sorry, guys. I didn't mean to lose focus there, but when I saw that it was four seconds left with the possession, I was like, oh, my God, what the hell's going on here? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, next on our uh, lovely show, we are going to talk about the two most impactful players from the weekend. Uh, Kyle, you want to go first? No, you can go first. It's all you, bro. You're such, you are such a gentleman and a scholar. 
Uh, I'm going to go in with the slight bias, but at the same time, not so really. Uh, my first impactful player for the weekend was Luka Doncic with his triple-double against the best backcourt since Michael and Scotty. Um, to quote Max Kellerman, or excuse me, just quote, quote Skip Bayless. So um, Luca had 30, 11, and 10. He continues to boister his average in the postseason out of his five, or no, this is his seventh postseason game. This is his third triple double in seven games. That's ridiculous. Um, Luca's had 30 points in five of them. So, I mean, he just continues to show his dominance, the level of his intensity just. It just steps up, man. In the postseason, Luca's not phased. These big moments, these big shots, these these clutch performances—they just seem to be a thing of the past for him. He's just like, yo, like this is what I do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The kid's only twenty-two, so I, I I really love to see that. And it just obviously 30, 30, 31 points, eleven assists, and ten boards just show uh, how important he is to this team. And you know, when he does good, how much we're gonna do very well going forward. And then my second most impactful player is going to be Tobias Harris. I mean, Tobias had 37 today in game one. That's insane considering his career high in general is 40 points. And this was his postseason career high. It looked like it looked like every shot he was taking throughout that integrity of that game was, was, was going to go in. I mean, he was effective from, from deep, inside, free throw line. I mean, J. Cole's twin was just cooking on all aspects. And – I thought that was the biggest reason why Philly was able to keep that lead and obviously the resurgence of Joel Embiid in the second half because of the foul trouble he was in in the first. Um, the two of them had uh, 47 points, excuse me, 67 points combined, but with Tobias Harris kind of taking a lot of the attention off and carrying that offensive load, I thought that was huge. And Philly showed that, you know, you know that Russell, Westbrook, Bradley Beal, it, it made no difference. Don't get me wrong, Bradley Beal almost had a triple-double in himself. He had 33-10-6. and six. But uh, overall, I thought that uh, Tobias Harris just made that much of a difference and I, that they made that team a lot more potent, even without Joel being able to play in the first half. No, those are, those are good players that you picked. For me, uh, I'm going to go with Devin Booker and Trey Young. I'll start with Devin Booker first. So this is his playoff debut. First time being in the playoffs in his career. And... Dude, he's he balled out. He had an impressive game. Dropped 34 points, shot 13 to 26 from the field, was able to knock down three three-pointers as well. Played 45 minutes in his first playoff game and stepped up big after Chris well, Paul was dealing with Chris Paul was in and out of this game just because he was dealing with an injury after I believe he sustained that injury in the first half, if I remember correctly. But Devin Booker was able to knock down some big shots, especially to keep keep their lead against a Lakers team. The Lakers made some runs to close the gap, but Devin Booker stepped up when he needed to and really gave the Suns the performance he needed to give them to get them this 1-0 lead against the Lakers. And look, Devin Booker is one of the most, what I would consider one of the most underrated players in the NBA, just because traditionally speaking, the Suns have never been that good of a team, but they are a team on the rise. The addition has, the addition of Chris Paul has really elevated not just his game, but the entire team's game. And even when Chris Paul was in and out of the lineup today dealing with the injuries that he was dealing with, Devin Booker stepped up and played like, like a 10-year vet. And 
they're going to need him to keep on playing this way if they're going to want to win this series against the Lakers. Because, look, you're going up against LeBron. You're going up against Anthony Davis. Arguably two of the top five best players in the league. And they're going to need to continue to shoot well. And Devin's going to have to be the guy, I think, to really kind of make it a focal point for the Suns to really have a shot to continue winning against the Lakers. And then, like I mentioned earlier, I picked Trey Young as my other standout. Look, Trey Young was getting FU chance from Madison Square Garden. First game of the series, and he (laughs) goes out and drops 32 points, 11 of 23 from the field, was 9 of 9 from the free throw line, and made the game-winning layup with just about a second to go in the fourth quarter and it's a tough stu- floater. It's tough. It stunned the garden. The garden was really going after Trey and Trey is kind of similar to Devin. Trey is a little bit younger. He's one of those up and coming point guards in the league. And you know, some guys, they may fall under the pressure of the bright lights of being in the garden in the first playoff series for the Knicks. I think in what, like eight years, eight years. Uh, it's been a while since the Knicks have been in the playoffs and the Garden Faithful did everything that they could to try to shake Trey Young's confidence, and it didn't work because Trey Young, despite how young he is, he okay. stepped up. And to me, it was a surprise. I was not expecting Atlanta to win this game. I thought the Knicks were going to win this game fairly convincingly just because I liked how they finished the season. They were really kind of battling for that top four position in the East, and they were able to get it. And I thought that momentum was going to carry them to getting this game one uh, victory over the Atlanta Hawks. The opposite ended up being the case. And Trey Young was a huge part in why Atlanta got the win. And kind of similar to what I said with Devin, they're going to need Trey Young to be on for the rest of the series. I don't know if he's going to be able to do what he did in game one going into game two, but if he can replicate the performance he had in game one going into the next game of the Garden, Atlanta could be going up 2-0 in the series. I wouldn't put it past them. Trey is no. Trey is dynamite. He's a, he's a baller, and he's electric. We all know that his three-point presence is felt, and we all know that he can take it to the basket, can finish at the rim, can shoot effectively from the free throw line, and get teammates involved. So Trey is the whole package, so for sure. He needs to remain consistent for them to have a, a good chance to knock the Knicks off. Yeah, and I'll tell you what. The Knicks didn't necessarily have the best game, but yet they were still competitive against a pretty decent Atlanta team. So I do think that this series in particular um, is going to be fun to watch. You know, there are some other series that, you know, across the NBA, they're going to be very compelling to watch. But I know where my eyes are going to be because I think this Atlanta Knicks series is going to be potentially a seven-game series. So that's a, that's a, that's a perfect kind of pass over into the next segment because we're going to talk about really quick what series do we think after the after game 1 has the potential to either go the distance or is a series that we are now going to stick to like glue because we are just so impressed with how it went mm-hmm. and that game for me at least dude that's 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 Miami and, and Milwaukee yeah. I called that series going 7 the whole way I wanted to see this matchup from beginning to end Jimmy's got Giannis's number. 
Chris Middleton is always disrespected as the 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 the, the Robin to Giannis's Batman, and mm-hmm. I think that 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 game gave us everything we needed to see, and then some. Because man, that went to the wire. Jimmy Butler hits a, a a tying bucket as time expires to put them into overtime. Questionable referee calling towards the end of that game to uh, you know give Milwaukee the advantage. But at the end of the day, Chris got to hit a tough, tough, tough shot for them to win it. And I think that that's exactly how the rest of the series is going to go. I really do. Jimmy Butler was what? What did you say earlier? I think four of 20, 422. Yeah, he shot 422 from the field. That just cannot happen for them. You know what I'm saying? Jimmy had a, probably the worst postseason night of his career. I'm not quoting that. I'm saying probably. I said I think. And they were still two points away from, from tying that game and obviously three points away from winning it. So, I mean, Kyle, what do you see this series going and, uh, and, and why? Why do you think that? Well, I originally picked the Bucks to win in six, but based off of this game, I think that this series has the potential to go seven games and it could really just be a toss up to who I think could win this series because I think Milwaukee is going to have to use this fuel uh, or just they have to kind of use this idea to fuel their their ability to win this series because the last couple of years that they've been in this in these playoff games, they've been in some big playoff series. They haven't lived up to, to the expectations that a lot of people set out for them. They made it to the Eastern Conference Finals against the Toronto Raptors a couple of years ago, and they ended up losing in six games. And then last year, they, they were in the bubble, and they fell way short of expectations, even despite being the top seed in the Eastern Conference. I believe they lost the series in five. It was it they lost in five games last five. year, and they damn near got swept. Now I know Giannis got hurt, and that obviously didn't help their case, but that team was struggling in the bubble, and it carried into the playoffs as well. So, I think they're going to have to use those those past failures as fuel to propel them past Miami. And I, I know Miami really kind of did a number on them last year, so I think there's they're going to use this redemption as fuel to try to get past Miami in this series. However, though, it's like I said just a minute ago, you know, when Jimmy is shooting 422 from the field, that is troubling for not only Miami, but it is troubling for Milwaukee as well, because if you're Milwaukee, you have to expect that Jimmy is going to play better going down the stretch. And the fact that Milwaukee only won that game by two points with Jimmy shooting that poorly is a cause of concern for me. And I think looking forward, they have to get Chris Middleton going because it can't just be all Giannis. And Giannis is pretty limited offensively because most of his damage is done down low in the paint. He's not really that good of a jump. He's not that good of a jump shooter. He can hit an occasional three here and there, but it's, it's shaky with him behind the three-point line. So if you're Milwaukee, you got to get other guys involved. you got to get good contributions from Drew Holiday, DiVincenzo, even um, even Lopez. So these guys are going to have to step up and really kind of make their mark in this series if they want to get past Miami. And if you're Miami, I think Miami is basically thinking it was like, well, we didn't necessarily play our best game against Milwaukee we only lost by two points that game was well within our grasp 
we just weren't able to close and finish the game that we wanted to. So I think that they could look at that game saying, okay, we know we're better than this and we can use that as just fuel to get past Milwaukee in game two and then go back to Miami with the series tied one, one. And then you got two games in Miami could, could potentially go up three, one, or you could split the or you could split it and go back to Milwaukee two, two. But I think looking at this series, I think this is going to be the most tightly contested series out of all of them. Maybe the, the Knicks and the Hawks could be near that level. Just, just the level of competitiveness is going to be insane in this Miami and Milwaukee series. And that's why, like, I know for me, I think it's going to be the most compelling series out of all of the series in the first round of the playoffs this year. Yeah. I mean, so we, we, we did mention that Miami didn't play, or should I say Jimmy didn't play the best game to his ability. And I'm looking here at Milwaukee's just their stat box here. And I'm, they were five of 31 from the three point line. They shot under 20%. They shot 16% from three and they shot 60% from the free throw line. They shot 20 of 33. So mm-hmm. Milwaukee left a lot of points out there too. Granted, like we said, Jimmy had a bad game and, uh, who else were we just talking about? Bam didn't have a great game. Tyler Hero had a bad game. 15. Yeah. So, I mean, both teams didn't play up to par, but the difference was Milwaukee superstars came to play. Giannis had 26 and 18. Chris, uh, Chris Middleton had 27, seven and seven or 20, 27, six and six, excuse me. I was off by one. So, I mean, can the supporting cast of Milwaukee back up? the brilliant star-studded offense of the, 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 the five starters on the floor. Because other than DiVincenzo, everybody had over 15 points. You had Drew Holiday at 20. You had Brooke at 18. And I had already stated 26 and 27 from the two superstars. So Milwaukee played a relatively good game as well. So, you know, both of them left points on the board. Both of them have room for improvement. And like you said, not to reiterate, but I'm so excited for this series and it's the series that I predicted when no one listened to me, including Kyle, that this would go seven. And this, this, this is going to be an an exciting blow for blow. They have history from last season. They got bad blood and this is, this is going to be exciting, man. I'm, I'm, I'm super pumped. I I hope Miami ends up taking this because it just goes to show, man, Jimmy Butler's is is that dude. And Jimmy Butler's a hustler. I love his playing style. I love it. I sure should love his mentality. Oh, for sure. It's just, I remember when we were making our predictions um, for the Eastern Conference playoff series last week. The one thing that I kept in mind with the Milwaukee and Heat series is that these games are going to be highly competitive, probably more competitive than I think the most of the series that we're going to see, just because to be honest with you, I think, I think both of these teams are very equally matched and the matchups that you get from this are just, they're fantastic. You got Giannis going up against Bam. You got Chris Middleton going up against Jimmy Butler. And then you got the three-point specialists for Miami. They showed up last year, and in large part, that's what propelled them to get to the NBA Finals last year. But now Milwaukee... Adds, in that boy. But now Milwaukee adds Drew Holiday, one of the best two-way players in the game, and he's making some big plays and making a big impact for Milwaukee this year. So the reason why I ended up going with Milwaukee in six is just because I think that they're going to use this 
redemption strategy to get this series. And I'm like, because Miami bullied them last year. And it's gonna that that leaves an yeah. ugly that leaves an ugly taste. And look, I don't know who's gonna win this series. Like I said, I picked the Bucks to win in six, but you know, redemption is a very good motivator. And I think they're gonna use that as their motivation to get back at Miami this year. And that's why I ended up picking them in six. Yeah, I mean, it, it like I said, it's game one. Uh, there's a lot of teams that, you know, did not finish out in the way that they wanted. And that kind of brings us perfectly to, once again, our next subject. Uh, and that is the significance of these game ones. Granted, you know, it is the first game for everybody in these series. It's a best of seven. It's not like baseball where the first round's best of five and so on and so forth. So, I mean, based off of what you've seen, based off of what you know to be the history of a game one. We all know that in bronze history, he always uses game one as a feeler game or, you know, like a, a test game to see, you know, what they're going to do to guard him going forward. What do you think game one means in this NBA playoffs? Game one is the game where you're just trying to understand your opponent. And really it's trying to figure out, okay, like where are some matchups that we can see to maybe exploit not only in game one, but in later games in the series. So when I look at some of these games, like I'll use the the Phoenix Suns and the Los Angeles Lakers series for an example here. I look at game one. It was a pretty defensive game. Like offense was kind of tough to come by in that game because the score was only 99 to 90. Now, granted, Devin Booker had a great game, dropped, damn near 35 points, played 45 minutes, and made a huge impact for Phoenix. But when you look at the flip side, when you look at the Lakers, LeBron had a so-so game. AD had what I would consider a subpar a subpar performance, and he even mentioned it after the game, saying he's got to play better than what he did in game one. And when you look at how this series is going to transpire, I I know for sure that LeBron is definitely going to make a much more prominent impact going into game two, because I know, I know with a hundred percent certainty that you're going to get everything from LeBron and AD because they do not want to be down 2-0 going back to to Los Angeles. That is just, it's not going to happen. So like I said, game one is just trying to understand your opponent and figure out some weaknesses and try to exploit them in game one and then in some later games in the series to me like game two is really like okay you know this is where both teams are really trying to go at it because the team that won game one is really trying to extend their lead to go up 2-0 and the other team is really just trying to get this series back to 1-1 and I think when you look at these series across the board I think that's kind of the main strategy is just figure out your opponent at first because you're going to be playing at least a minimum of four of four games against them. So, you know, you may lose one, you may lose one battle, but you could still have the potential, you could still have the potential to win the war in the series. So game one, I don't put a lot of emphasis into it. If anything, I put a little bit more emphasis in the game two, because that's where you're really going to start to see the intensity really ramp up because a team that lost game one, they do not want to be in a situation where they go down too well. Um, 
I'm going to go in a completely different aspect of it. And, you know, stop me if I get a little bit too in detail, please do. Uh, I think game one is situational. Um, if a one seed blows out an eighth seed, that is not a surprise. But for the eighth seed, that might be a wake-up call. If the eighth seed upsets the one seed, like the Utah series, that's a massive confidence booster and a huge shot to the jaw for the one seed. So, you know, it does different things for each team. You know what I'm saying? In the case of the Knicks and the Hawks, the two-point game, they relatively match up very well. It was close pretty much the integrity of the entire game. And, you know, game one is kind of like a, damn, we could have done better. Same thing with the Milwaukee and the Miami series. Shit, we both didn't play good, but they squeaked it out and they played better towards the end of the stretch. In the Dallas, I'm going to use my reference, in the Dallas versus the Clippers game, we have a bad taste in our mouth from last season. Obviously, KP ended up missing the latter of the rest of that series. Um, after the Luka Doncic buzzer beater, we ended up going down, you know, and losing the, the next two. So it just, for, for, for rematches, it's different. For one and eight seeds, it's different. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's a completely, I don't know the word I'm trying to use. It's like I said, a case by case situation. Yeah. And I think that game one definitely means a lot more to certain teams than it does to others. And for us going up one Oh, after what we did last year and KP not having the best game of his career last night or, you know, yesterday afternoon, he only had 14 points on four of 13 shooting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we ended up doing what we did and a lot of the, 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 um, anchors and narrators and announcers were all saying, you know, the Clippers are favored. You know, we had to hear that in the media. We had to hear that in the post game. Oh, you get the rematch. Oh, the Clippers tanked and this, that, and the third. I think that for a team like Dallas, this is a massive game because it immediately puts on record. Yo, we could do this. Like we do not give a shit if it's Kawhi Leonard or Paul George. So, I mean, and, and obviously the, the, the Portland game where the sixth seed, you have an MVP candidate in, in, uh, in Jokic and we go and smack you by 14 in Denver. Like, you know what I'm saying? It, it makes a very big difference to the lower seeded teams. I think the upsets are the big ones that make a difference. But my counterpoint to that is a couple of years ago when OKC won the first game of the finals against Miami. And pretty much the entire team balled out and everybody thought that, yo, can OKC end up giving Miami back-to-back years of finals losses? And Miami completely just turned the switch and they won the next four. And Mm -hmm. I mean, like, they didn't just win the next four. They annihilated OKC in, I think, two of those games. And James Harden was like a walking turnover machine and he just could not hit the front side of a bucket. So it was just like things like that could end up harming you you know what i'm saying overconfidence could yep. hurt you and and it could also wait a minute hold on let me uh let's turn this up real quick we're we're, we're who we are let's let's remind you of who we are and then that game too like kyle said could end up being a very very pivotal game because if they clap back and the loser of game one ends up winning we have a tied series and that could be ended up that could end up being a whole you know a a, a, a chippy one-on-one series the entire way versus if a team goes up 2-0 the home team's already on their heels you're sitting here like, oh, shit, like we got to go home and we're already down. And the best we can do is tie the series. I think that, like Kyle said, game two is definitely more important than game one. But for me, game one is a tone setter for certain teams. And I, I love the fact that a lot of these games went the way that they did. And it depends on how you approach it, too. Because, look, you could have a series where it goes back and forth. You know, and yeah. if you're in a situation where – 
you're going into game five. I know thinking a little bit down the road in these series here, but you get to a situation where it's game five and the series is tied two two. That's when it's like you're going mono e mono at that point, just because like one team is going to get the advantage to go up three two, and all they got to do is win one of those games over the course of two potential games. And you know, if it gets to a situation where it's a game seven, both teams are going to go balls to the wall to win the win that game to advance to the next round of the playoffs. So when I look at some of these series, like, look, like when it comes to like, I'll use an example here, like the, the Philadelphia 76er series and the Washington wizards series. Washington is, I think is going to throw basically the kitchen sink at them in game two, just because they need to Philly is the number one seed in the Eastern conference. One of the best teams in the NBA and Washington, you know, was able to get into the playoffs to the plan, but there were times where they struggled. There were large stretches of the season where it didn't look like they were even going to be close to making the playoffs. You know, can they, can they find some sort of way to just overcome the MVP season of Joel Embiid, try to basically find a weakness to, get past Ben Simmons, who's one of the best defenders in the game of basketball. And it's not an easy task. And when I look at like somebody like the Washington Wizards, they're going to have to put everything into this game too, because if they go down 2-0 in that series, I don't want to say that it's over, but the mountain to climb back out of a 2-0 hole against the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, just with the lineup that the 76ers had, it's really, really tricky. But on the flip side of the Western Conference, you had the eight seed just upset the number one seed in the first game of the series. So Without their best player, and it was a three-point game. So I it's am, a different category. Yeah, but it's it's a different situation just because yeah. if Donovan Mitchell's playing in that game, I would probably put money that Utah's going to win it. More but, than likely, yeah. But look, you got players like freaking Dylan Brooks, John Morant, some other players that are stepping up, Jonas, uh, Jonas Valanciunas, making huge contributions for this team. Now, can they do it consistently enough to win four out of seven potential games? We'll see. It's just, yeah. you know, these series are all different in their own way just because yep. these teams are also different from each other. But game one is important. Don't get me wrong. It's just... It's like you said, it's more of a feeler type game just to kind of see where both teams are at. And like I said, you just kind of have to focus on the best matchups that you can get against the team you're going up against and try to exploit their weaknesses as best as possible. Yeah, and I just I hate the fact that I had to use LeBron as a reference, but it's like everybody publicly knows that in his history, LeBron James really never wins game one of a lot of series and ends up winning those series or those championships at the end of the day. So it's just the fact that he specifically, no matter what team sees, he has been on, he uses it as a filler game. I've always found that to be selfish. You know, there's no reason why you can't go all out in game one and, you know, set the tone high and say, yo, Mm -hmm. in this case, he's a very low seated team with the Lakers being the seventh, but there's no reason why you can't be LeBron James and show everybody like, Hey, I missed the latter a a lot of the, the season. You know, I was hurt. And, you know, my running mate's not doing too well. Let me step this up versus, you know, kind of settling down or you're stepping back and taking a seat saying, all right, this is how you're going to defend me. 
I just I never really liked it and it rubbed me the wrong way. So excuse me for anybody that that thought that analogy was a a little weird, but you know, they mention it on Sports Center every five seconds. LeBron James's history in game one, sir, blah, blah, blah. Like I no, nobody gives a shit. You know what I'm saying? Like if you lose game one, that's not the biggest thing in the world. But in this case, for the Lakers, if obviously, you know, A D and then Braun continue to play at the pace they're playing, they're gonna be in some deep shit. So um I, I, do, I think that I do have one question for you though. What? I, I know I know it's only game one in these series, and like we just mentioned, you know, we still got a long way to go in some of these series. But yeah. out of all the teams that lost game one, which team do you think is in the most trouble? That's a tough one, honestly. I mean, I don't, I, I really don't think any of these teams are in, you know, like dog water. You know, I don't, even the Philly Washington series, because Washington had so many turnovers and, you know, they uh, they weren't able to capitalize on some advantages because the biggest blowout was the the, the Blazers and the Nuggets. And I don't even think that that's going to be a, a big thing. Like the Celtics, I would probably say would be the biggest worry to me only because Jason Tatum and Kemba Walker both had terrible nights and it was still uh, an 11 point game. But it's the it's the threat of that big three. They scored 82 points together. And that was very, very, very scary because the supporting cast of the Celtics was also unable or unable to provide any assistance. If, if Jason Tatum and Kemba are having the night that they're having, I'm literally about to pull this box score up right now. If I don't, if I remember correctly, they both shot like well under 40% for the field. Kemba was five of 16. Jason was six of 20. I mean, that's ridiculous. They had, what's that? 11 of 36 combined. Kemba's three of seven from the three point line. Jason's one of four. That's not okay. Your two best players without Jalen Brown to go up against the juggernaut that is Brooklyn is, is just absolutely not acceptable. And you know, we're sitting, I'm looking, I'm sitting here looking at this box score. Like, dude, Evan Fournier was traded where it was was acquired for a reason. He played 39 minutes and he only had 10 points. Like, what are you what are you doing? I think that he's been struggling since he's gotten to Boston and until he turns it around. This could end up being a sweep. And like we talked about, unless Jason drops 50 again, I don't know how long Boston's going to be able to, you know, withstand this firepower because we all know Brooklyn's defense is horrible too. The fact that they were 11 points in this game and their best players were that bad. Dude, they shot 37% as a team from the field. Mm -hmm. That's atrocious. And if Boston doesn't turn it around, this is ju- only going to continue to show the momentum that Brooklyn has. KD had 32, Kyrie had 29, James Harden had 21, but James also put in nine and eight. So it's like, dude, if Brooklyn continues this pace, and this is, I think, maybe like the ninth or tenth game they've played together all season, this big three is about to catch the biggest momentum against the trash defensive team that is the Boston Celtics this season. I think with me. I'm going to get a little bit on my troll game here. I got to pit the Clippers, bro. And the reason why is, is because of the freaking vitriol they got after they got knocked out of the playoffs last year, being up 3-1. Now, granted, this Dallas uh, Clippers series is going to be a good one. I think it's going to be one of the better ones out of all the slate of series that we have in the first round. It's just, I'm looking at the perspective of, the Clippers have already dealt with all of the BS that they got for social media, 
the amount of roasting that came their way after they lost to the Denver Nuggets after being up 3-1. Everybody wanted to see that Lakers-Clippers series in the Western Conference Finals last year, and it it didn't end up happening because they lost three straight games, and in Game 7, freaking Kawhi and Paul George were absolutely atrocious in that Game 7 when it mattered the most. They got the brakes beat off of them against Denver in that series, in that Game 7. So I'm not saying that that's going to be the case here, because I still think that the Clippers have a very good shot to win this series, even though I think Dallas has a lot of motivation to get back at the Clippers for knocking them out of the playoffs last year. But I'm just saying that those demons could rise again against the Clippers because look, you lost 10 points. You lost to, to the Dallas by 10 points at home. And even with the dunk that Kawhi had, you weren't able to generate enough momentum to get past Dallas in the first game on your home court in the, in the playoffs. So if they go down 2-0 in this series, you know, obviously we'll, we'll find out this week, but if they go down 2-0, I'm saying the, the, that those calls for a repeat of what possibly of what happened last year, they could possibly come back again and, if you think that the roasting was bad back then, wait till they could face a scenario where they could potentially, I'm not saying that they will, get potentially knocked out in the first round of the playoffs. Wait, wait like, till I get a hold of them. Wait, 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 wait till your boy gets a hold of them. They ain't going to get, I'm going to pull a Shannon Sharp. We about to get Club KK in this bitch, bro. Hey, hey, your boy ain't playing, man. All the disrespect these boys have been getting all season long and KP's a bitch. And Luca's not an MVP. Luca's soft. And, uh, yeah, and Luca doesn't shut up, which he doesn't. And, you know, he's one tech away from getting suspended. Um, I think we need to get a little bit more respect here. We're, li- we're literally looking at a 22-year-old foreign-born player dominate the NBA as if he has been in this league for 10-plus years. And he's doing it against the best defenders or the best backcourt or best wing defenders, excuse me, since Michael and Scotty. And he's doing it two years in a row the man basically averaged a triple double last season in six games and he's already starting the series off with a triple double of his own dude all i gotta say is if playoff if if if, if george paul as skip likes to call him continues to appear we are going to slap the shit out of them because they're going to continue to underestimate us but again i stand by what i said at the beginning of the episode we cannot continue to shoot the volume of shots that we're doing and not attack the basket we need to get to the free throw line a lot better and we need to contain their role players. If Kawhi's going to drop 30 on us or 25, we got to make sure Paul doesn't do it. We got to make sure the Morris brother doesn't do it. And we have to box out because we were getting out rebounded for a ladder of that game for the latter portion of that game. We need to do better on the boards and our backup bigs, Willie Colley Stein, Maxi Kleba. Maxi plays amazing defense. Shout out to my girlfriend. She's actually literally obsessed with him. Um, Maxi's got to do better on the boards as well. He only had six or should I say, I think, no, I think he had nine. Whatever. Point of the matter is um, we have to do better in a lot of aspects, and the series is going to be very entertaining, but I think we have that chip on our shoulder from last season, and if KP can stay healthy and have a better game the next game, the Clippers better watch out, man. I think they're a different team because they're being coached by a different person. I think the defensive grit or, like, you know, like intensity is a little different with Ty Lue at the helm because obviously you can see the difference in Philly 
that Doc Rivers has brought to that team. Ben Simmons is now in the discussion of an, a defensive player of the year. Mm-hmm. Joel Embiid has kind of, you know, accepted his role to be a little bit more back to the basket oriented. So I don't know, man. I don't I, Maybe the, this will show that the, the firing of Doc Rivers was premature. Who knows? All I know is one thing's for sure. Just uh, we, we got to let Maxi Kleba know to make better business decisions because I know the Clippers. Well, the same thing. I know. I know the Clippers uh, did not win that game. They serve freaking Kawhi at the highlight of the game. Yeah, you know Kawhi gave Maxi a hot L on that play. Hey but, man, they caught the L for the game. But I, yep. I told Isabel she's she's still learning basketball. Shout out to Babe. Um, she said at least he tried. I said, Babe, we don't give all participation trophies out here. You get dunked on, you baptized forever, and yep. it, you're going to be a meme for the rest of your life. Yep. Um, and that stare down that the three of them ended up giving him, uh, the three of them being, what was it? I think Paul George, Marcus Kawhi Morris. and Marcus Morris. Kawhi. Yeah. Um, that's going to be a meme forever. So it was, it was a little disrespectful, but guess what? Mavericks got him back because they won the game. Yeah. So Maxie's got to learn. Don't jump there. Again, I respect his hustle. I respect the fact that he is at least trying, but. Dude, <laughs> Kawhi Leonard. It's, if it's a breakaway and it's Kawhi, don't jump, bro. Come on, man. Just, just don't. You have to be smarter. Kyle said it. You have to make better business decisions, man. Yep, that's why I'll, I'll always, I always look back at that freaking Anthony Edwards dunk. I don't even remember who he dunked it on. I remember, I forget the guy's name. Yeah, me too. He, poor, that guy was stupid. He, he'll poor be business out of the decision. Poor business decision. But it he'll is run out of the league. Yeah. So with that being said, you know, that's pretty much our NBA roundup. Uh, we're going to just transition quickly into the uh, – over the weekend, Phil Mickelson became the oldest player to win a PGA championship, and he definitely did win uh, – the four-day event took place, what, from Thursday to today or Thursday to yeah, – today, right? Thursday, yep, He's, Thursday to Sunday. And he is 50, 51 years old. How old He's is 50. he exactly? He's 50. And he, he dominated from what Kyle said. I don't watch golf, but – Kyle, I'm going to let you take the reins, bro. Shout out to Phil, man, the lefty. I mean, 50 years old. I mean, I was not expecting Phil to win this tournament. So I know there was there's usually like a lot of money that's usually put on like Louis Ostez and maybe Brooks Kepka, maybe even Jordan Spieth and Rory, even though that they've been kind of inconsistent lately. If I actually remember correctly, I think Jordan may have won a tournament not too long ago. But freaking 50 years old and Phil played – a phenomenal four rounds of golf from Thursday. He was tied for the lead in Friday. He had sole possession of the lead Saturday. He had sole possession of the league and he was able to maintain and keep distance from everybody else behind him going into Sunday. Now the thing with, with Phil is that earlier in his career, he was known as somebody who chokes under pressure. He's had some moments in some big tournaments, especially in some majors where he's winning going into Sunday, but ends up, ends up falling apart, has a bad round on Sunday and ends up losing some major championships. However, that did not happen here. He was consistent all the way through. Granted, he did shoot one over par today, but still won by two strokes. And, you know, when you look at, when you look at the leaderboard, you know the golfer golfers played pretty well on this course. They played in they played in a course called Ocean Course, and look six hundred. You know it's a it's a pretty good score, but the way that I saw Phil play this weekend, 
he played phenomenal. So I have to give a I would give I have to give a lot of credit to Phil for still being able to go out there and not only not only to compete against a lot of these up and coming guys that are in their youth, they're in their prime, they're ready to make a name for themselves. But it's nice to kind of see the old guard have their moment with Phil being 50 years old and win a major, his first major in damn near a decade. So I, if I remember correctly, I think the last major that he won was in 2013, he won the Open Championship over in Great Britain. So I, I think it's phenomenal. I love it. And I know one thing, my mom absolutely loves Phil Mickelson. She's loved him from day one. And um, just to kind of give a little shout out to my mom, I, I imagine she was probably smiling ear to ear when Phil Mickelson won this tournament because she, she's kind of like, she used to love golf back in the day. She kind of loosely p- pays attention to it now, but I imagine this definitely got her attention when Phil was going into Sunday being up a couple strokes in one of the biggest tournaments of the year. No, I, I always had more to say again, you know, not really a golf fan trying to watch as much playoff basketball as I could while handling some other things, but kudos to Mickelson handling that. And then, you know, going out there and making history. Uh, but you know, there was some more history this weekend, at least in the Yankees record books, the Yankees went out there and we dominated and we swept the white Sox. you know, against my better judgment. I did not think the series would go the way that it did. Maybe won today's game five to four. We won the previous game seven to Nelson. And, you know, the previous game before that, two to one. So, I mean, we did what we needed to do against one of the better teams in the AL. Um, Our starting pitching actually was phenomenal. We had five-plus scoreless uh, innings in five consecutive games. Uh, That's the longest streak in Yankees history. James Talon actually did what he needed to do today as well. He went five innings, four strikeouts, no earned runs. The bullpen is actually what gave up the runs, which is surprising enough for us. And uh, we ended up squeaking away with a win today with a walk-off walk by Eric Judge. You can see that the catcher was setting up low and away, and he legit let that ball slip, and that just rose well above the strike zone. And you saw the frustration when he threw the ball on the ground and he walked away because, man, Judge was more than likely swinging at that one because a 3-1 pitch fastball low outside, Judge is probably trying to take that bases loaded and drive in something. So – I'll take it for what it is. It's a quick little, you know, shout out to the boys. We do what we need to do. And, you know, the Yankees just are, are just got to keep it going, man. Again, main, main focus needs to be the offense for us. We, we scored five runs today, one of them being a walk. So I'll say four, but you know, the other two games, uh, or should I say the other game earlier this week was two to one. We can't continue to have these, these, uh, these games and expect our pitchers to last as long as they have. We've had a good run this week but we got to do better offensively. Got to put up more numbers. Aaron Hicks is officially out indefinitely and they are leaning towards keeping him out for the season as it does require surgery on his wrist. So we will continue to see what happens. You guys are only half game for first place because the the Rays and the Red Sox are tied for first place. The Rays have been on a freaking roll though. The last, yeah, like the Rays are cooking right now. They're they're 10 and 0 in their last 10 games. And, Boston, they've been seven and three in their last 10 games. New York has been playing very well as of late. They've won eight out of their last 10. So they're really, when you look at these top teams in the AL East, they are really stepping up their game. Granted, we still got a long way to go in the season. 
but oh yeah but the fact that you got three teams right here that are basically right at the top of the division and are some of the best teams in the American League to add to it as well it's going to set it up for a very interesting summer cuz that's where you're you're going to see one of these teams or maybe two of these teams really start to get some separation separate yeah. from not just the the lower teams or the not as good teams in the AL East but really the AL as well so it should set this this is going to be a fun summer watching these teams really go at it for probably the next two months and just be kind of interesting to see who really does kind of like become the top dog in the AL East because it is one of the most competitive divisions in baseball oh yeah I mean we're literally sitting here saying best in the in the in the AL East but I mean the Yankees are tied or should I say the Yankees are the second best record in the AL in general I mean with us knocking the White Sox down uh, White Sox down a couple of notches we're literally a half game back from the best record in the AL in the AL as a whole and we're a full game behind the Padres for the best record in baseball the top three teams in the AL are all AL East teams like when it comes to winning percentage they're all in the AL East because when you look at the rest of the, when you look at the rest of the um, the conference, or I don't say conference league, specifically in the American League, you got the White Sox who just lost three straight games. Their percentage, their winning percentage is point is fifty seven um, percent, and then when you look at the Athletics, they're fifty eight, but the Yankees are at fifty nine, and then you got the Rays and the Red Sox at sixty. Sixty. So it's crazy. You got the three best teams. As far as winning percentage go, they're all in the same division. Granted, it's only May. There's a lot of time to go. But oh, yeah. that's crazy, just having just three of the best teams in the AL all in one division. It's absolutely nuts. You could definitely make a case that it's the most competitive division in baseball right now. Oh, without a doubt, next to the NL West. Obviously, you know, the Padres going out there with the Dodgers and the Giants and all that jazz. But, I mean, hey, that's our episode for the day. We tried to keep it nice, short, and concise, a little easier for everybody to, you know, some clickbait, you know, some things that people may or may not like. So we do what we can do to please the audience. You know what I'm saying? Like, we are here for your pleasure, your amusement, and hell, you know, we just do what we got to do because we love what we do. So that's a wrap for this episode, ladies and gentlemen. We will make sure that we have everything out there for the episode, I believe, tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. Um I made a mistake this past weekend and forgot to upload the audio to this video, or should I say audio to the last episode? I actually saved it as a draft, like an asshole, and I thought I published it. So kudos to me for fucking up. But that means you guys have more things to listen to throughout the week. You know, I, I do get a lot of text messages saying that people listen to us on the way to work and on the way home. So, hey, if you're stuck in traffic, you got another episode to listen to this week. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I had to take a drink of water real quick. Um, I mean, pretty much, Kev, are we doing two more episodes this week or are we just going to do one? What's the? I mean, it really, de- it really depends, honestly, on uh, a lot of things are pending this week. Uh, a lot of stuff with my job and uh, some other stuff I got going on in my personal life in and out of the house and whatnot. So I'm just trying to figure out, will I actually be available? You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to like promise everybody we can do three and then I'm not, I'm not there or you work late or something like that. So we can try. We're posting an episode tomorrow morning. We can do one Wednesday. We could do one Friday with obviously playoff basketball being the majority of the content. So um, we'll definitely keep you guys posted. Definitely don't want to commit and not be able to come through. 
I would just expect that we're probably going to do one more episode this week. Um, just because, granted, I don't know if much is going to change if we do another episode in the middle of the week. Um, maybe like one of us could probably just do like kind of like a quick little recap just as like something is like a holdover until our next yeah. episode later in the week. Cause I could do something like I could just probably like just make like a quick video on YouTube, just kind of like, okay, like the series are here at this point. You still got a little bit ways to go, but I think if we do just our typical thing where, you know, we save an episode for later in the week, we'll at least let some time go, be, let these playoff series kind of do their thing, carry on into game three, going into game four. Um, it might just be easier um, to just keep it to two, but who knows? We might shoot for three. Who knows? We'll keep, yeah, always keep aim possible. high. Always aim high. Okay, I'll keep that possibility open for sure. Yeah, 100%. No reason to sell us sh- short if something crazy happens in a series or, you know, yeah. if you know, there's an injury, God forbid, or, or something crazy happens in baseball, we will surely make sure that we get it out there for you guys. But, you know, we just like to err on the side of caution. Yeah, and, and basically for this weekend – really the foreseeable future, it's going to be pretty much all NBA. Yeah. Just because this so, is be ready. This is this is go time for the NBA right now. So and uh, I know I, I know we I know we didn't mention anything about it today, but listen, these playoff series in, in the NHL have been dynamite as well. I know we didn't talk about it throughout the episode, but I love these playoff games in, in hockey. They're just as intense um as basketball. Great that they're different sports, but just the intensity across the board, whether it's the NBA or the NHL, has just been elevated to new heights, especially within the first week of these playoff series. They've been really fun to watch. Yeah, I'll probably have to watch them, honestly, you know, get home, do what I need to do, and then yeah. watch playoffs. Playoffs are just – they're on TV right now, and I can't exactly resist. They're just everywhere. It's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I, was, I was at the bar on Saturday – and it was just like just cool to just like look around the entire bar. It's like, bro, like I got basketball games on, I got freaking NHL games going on. It was just I was loving it. So, and my buddy that I was with, he's a he's a uh, St. Louis Blues fan. Um, it's not really going well for them, but the fact that they got a St. Louis Blues game on in there, you know, that's that's pretty cool. Just because uh, that's his team, even though they're uh, they're not playing that well right now. So could be an early exit for the Blues, but I know the Lightning are doing fantastic so far. They're up three-one, and they could be uh, looking at a Game Five series-ending game if they play their cards right. Hey man, shout out to that bar. I do know a lot of bars. You know, you go to nowadays is like there's a specific location or like a team that that bar represents, and it's like, dude, it's like you have like one Lightning game on everywhere. But like you have like a, that one St. Louis Blues fan in the bar. If he asks you to change one TV, it's not going to really change anything. So, big kudos to that bar yeah, they, for, for, taking, yeah. for taking the that guy's opinion, or should I say that guy's uh, team into consideration. It, it, it's a it's a little it's a little place right behind my apartment complex called Peabody's, and they're I mean they're neutral. It's not like they got like the whole place decked out in like Lightning gear or like Tampa 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 Bay Buccaneers stuff. Uh, but it's just a nice little chill spot to go to, just kick it with the homies and just watch these teams go at it. 
So I always like going there whenever, whenever we decide to go there. Shit, bar food, basketball, playoffs, whatever. Sports in general, just great times, great vibes, always. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. But with that said, you guys, that'll wrap it up from here. If we haven't gotten the chance to say it, we'll say it here. We just definitely appreciate the support wherever we can get it, whether it's listening to us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or watching our videos on YouTube. We definitely appreciate it. And just be ready for the possibility of us doing two more episodes this week. We'll see what happens with our schedules. I know I got work this week. I know Kevin's got some stuff to do as well. Definitely expect one. Two would be would be very nice, but definitely keep your eyes out for the next episode that we come out that we come out with. But Kev, do you have anything else before we uh, decide to dip out of here? No, sir. You know, stay in school. Don't do drugs. Crack is whack. The usual. Same shit, different day. I got nothing else more to add to that. But <laughs> has a good way to end it. But with that said, you guys, thank you guys for tuning in, and we will see you guys later this week. Hey, everybody. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric Cast Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. One, two,